The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair, the Truman Show. On the air. It's the Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. It's the Greg Tucker Show today. And uh, you called me the other day and, and wanted to know what we were going to be talking about. And if I could uh, throw you some new information that's old. And uh, well, let me, I, let I me, couldn't come up with anything. I'm well, sorry. Well, let me begin by wishing you a happy new year uh, tomorrow officially. Are you kidding now we go through this every year at this time. Tomorrow is the Lunar New Year. And it's the celebrating the Year of the Tiger, which uh, is probably the reason Cincinnati prevailed yesterday. The Year of the Tiger? Yeah. This is Are we talking about Shere Khan? I'm not talking about Shere Khan. Well, you said the Year of the Tiger. Year of the Tiger, the Lunar New Year tomorrow which is for many of the Asian communities, I guess most nearly like our Thanksgiving. It's a time for family gatherings and uh, being thankful for the many blessings we enjoy. And uh, I helped, uh, I put in the mail this morning uh, a handful of uh, New Year greeting cards to all the family. Well, see, I think my uh, representative in the animal world is a snake, of what I've been told. Well, if you have time today, if you know somebody who might appreciate a uh, New Year's greeting, give her a call. I, I presume I'm, I'm going to be calling Mentred. Is that what you're I saying? I don't know who you might call. My son. She's, is, the, one, she's the only one that understands all this stuff. My son is a tiger. Year of the yeah. Tiger. I think my sister's Year of the Tiger. My daughter-in-law's Year of the Tiger. So we're we're planning a big year. Well, when do mine come up? Uh, the Year of the Snake. I could care less. <laughs> what a great friend you are! <laughs> is all I can say. Uh huh. Well, I have to remind you every year to be thankful on Lunar New Year. You expect me to remember that? No, that's why I remind you every year. Yeah. Well, well, you're going to something next Monday, and women, well, not next Monday, not Monday that. week, and and uh, you already day. had a uh, an invitation, and you said you didn't, but you're the one that called me and told me you had an invitation. Uh -huh. There's something going on. Uh huh. Well, don't spoil the surprise, Truman. <laughs> See, I don't know who I can call that could understand the, the uh, 
the new year of the tiger or whatever it is. All right. I'm not saying anything. No, it's I, your show. Well, uh, let's talk about some ladies. All right. That's always a good topic. In yes. fact, I thought, in fairness, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about some of our early, early uh, citizens in this uh, community. And uh, we talked only about the uh, the men. Mm-hmm. So I decided, well, I need to back up and talk about a uh, several of the early ladies. In fact, the one I really appreciate, uh, one of the Lytle uh, wives, uh, who uh, knew how to take care of herself and uh, had an impact, significant impact on the community. Uh, It was, uh, her name was Sophia. She went by Sophie. And uh, she and her family were, before their involvement in Rutherford County, down in Bedford County. Hmm. Her father, DeShields was her maiden name, Sophia DeShields, was a preacher down there. And in uh, the late 1850s, her sister married the grandson of Captain William Lytle. She married uh, into my family. Yeah. Yeah. She married the grandson of Captain William Lytle. Well, Sophie saw opportunity. Mm-hmm. So she married the son of Captain William Lytle. Wow. Which made Sophie the stepmother in law of her sister, which is confusing. Uh, and uh, she was the third wife of William F. Lytle son of the captain and about 40 years difference in their age she did have children by uh, William F. Lytle but uh, this all took place just shortly before the Civil War broke out and of course as you know the Lytle plantation property and the mansion itself was literally between the uh, big fort Rosecrans that was built by the Union, mm-hmm. used as a supply depot for virtually all of the Western theater of war, and Murfreesboro, the, the town at the time. So her home, uh, she and her husband lived there in 1861, 62, and uh, of course 63, the second occupation is when they built the fort and all. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, William F. Lytle, her husband, was, uh, I guess, pragmatic and very quickly established that he was uh, sympathetic with the Union. And uh, the Union accommodated by uh, protecting, not uh, destroying the home, the plantation there. And uh, they didn't... didn't, uh, Give the same courtesy to others. They literally took over, and uh, oh, I just thought I was related to him. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. We, you might have been another branch. Yeah, because there were several several mm-hmm. kids. Uh, but given that uh, there was a, at least a a truce like relationship between the the Lytle and uh, the the occupying army, uh, 
a uh, one of the brigadier generals uh, came calling, literally came over, came calling, introduced himself. He was from Cincinnati, uh, probably in his 30s. Probably a Bengals fan, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. his name was William Lytle. There is a Lytle family, we mentioned it before, that founded Cincinnati, mm -hmm. and he was a descendant of that family. And when he uh, made his first visit and announced that he was a Lytle, uh, he suggested, or they suggested, well, we must be cousins, some distant cousin relationship. Uh, Sophie is described in the literature and letters as a very beautiful woman, and her husband a very elderly gentleman uh, with a whole lot of land there. Uh, Something smells about that. <clears throat> well, in 1863, of course, the whole area is occupied by the Union Army, and this young Lytle from Cincinnati makes a visit, and conveniently, I guess, uh, mid-1863, uh, the landowner dies. Mm -hmm. So now Sophie is a widow, and she has been given a life estate in all of the Lytle lands that were still intact at that time. The Cincinnati Lytle began to make regular calls uh, almost daily. And uh, Andrew Lytle, when he wrote in the 30s about the family history, uh, was pretty blunt about it seemed to be that Sophie was the target of the visits. And a romance blossomed and developed under the circumstances. One interesting point was Sophie, who was very much into dress and appearance, mm -hmm. uh, had no source for her feminine things, clothing and such. And uh, <coughs> uh, General Lytle, the young, young man from Cincinnati, had several sisters. He wrote to his sisters <coughs> and apparently explained what was going on and asked for help in uh, providing Sophie her her clothing and makeup and whatever it was. So she got packages from Cincinnati uh, as part of the relationship. Uh, eventually, you know, the Army headed south and <coughs> the uh, Cincinnati Lionel actually was a, an impressive, uh, very much an intellectual as well as a military man had a bit of a national reputation, excuse me, as a poet uh, and a writer, uh, as well as his, his military situation. Uh, but as fate would have it, he goes commanding a unit in Chickamauga and is killed in battle, uh, leaving Sophie with nowhere to turn here. And she had made perhaps a mistake, but uh, during this period of the courtship, her stepson, who was a Confederate officer, mm -hmm. uh, was wounded and contacted her for help in getting supplies and what have you because he had come back into the area and was, was hiding uh, in, the, in the area. And Sophie chose, I guess, thinking where her interests lie, to expose him. Mm 
and he was arrested, taken into custody. <clears throat> and as a result, the rest of the Lytle family shunned her. Ended relationships that. there. Yeah. Because yeah. she obviously was now generally recognized as a part of the Union sympathy in yeah. the area. Uh, after she learned that uh, the Cincinnati Lytle had been killed in battle, she began visiting regularly in the headquarters of the Union Army here in Murfreesboro and out at the fort. And uh, apparently uh, chose uh, her next suitor. His name was Harrison, last name Harrison. He was a grandson of William Henry Harrison, the president of several years before. Mm -hmm. And after the war, his brother, <clears throat> who was obviously a well-placed politician during the war, became president, Benjamin Harrison. Mm -hmm. So Sophie chose, chose wisely. And uh, they were married. And in fact, uh, if you go into the early uh, 20th century records, writings, the Lytle estate is referred to as the Harrison home, the Harrison estate. Because mm -hmm. remember, Sophie got the life estate, <coughs> which she shared with her son. And uh, essentially for the rest of her life, she controlled the property and the estate and what have you with her husband, Harrison. And he became the Harrison home, the Harrison estate. He died uh, around the turn of the century, the husband. Uh, but Sophie remained uh, the, the lady of the estate there. Interesting that uh, in the 1920s, this relationship became very significant. Because in the 1920s, late 1920s, a major industry Carnation mm -hmm. wanted to build and establish their business here in uh, Rutherford County. And the ideal location was Sophie's estate because of the highway, the highway that developed the Nashville Highway, mm -hmm. the railroad and all that right there, and the availability of the property. <clears throat> but Sophie was still living. She actually lived to be 100 years old. She's still living. She still had a life. Isn't that always the way it is? Yeah. Those, <laughs> yeah. The good die young. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, so Carnation and the local community, which was very anxious to get Carnation in here, mm -hmm. bring a lot of uh, business and employment and a market for the milk produced here. Uh, it ended up in court, as you would expect. Uh, a problem there, though, was one of the Lytles was the chancellor in the matter, since it involved an estate, goes to the chancellor back then. Mm -hmm. So he had to step aside, and they brought in from uh, a neighboring jurisdiction a judge to sit on the case. And it went on for several months of testimony and examination of documents. Conclusion was that uh, Sophie had a valid life estate which could not be disturbed or, or uh, uh, nullified under the circumstances as long as she was living. And uh, in fact, her son shared in that life estate and he was even younger. Uh, but the court figured out a way to do it. 
it first concluded that the cash offered for the property by Carnation was a fair price. You have to remember we're talking about the 1920s. $15,000 was a very significant sum uh, for the That'd property. That'd be like in the millions now. Oh, yeah. So I said, uh, it's a fair price. The transaction can be completed. The money will be put in trust and all of the interest uh, and any continuing leases, any money, any money generated from that goes to Sophie to support her and uh, the property can be transferred. After her death, that money will then be divided up and there were about you know, a couple of dozen Lytle descendants mm -hmm. that once the life estate was ended, the money was divided up among them. So they worked it out so Carnation could come in and build build its plant. Uh, and Sophie was well taken care of on into her 100th year. She died in the 30s, early 30s, so all of it liquidated at that time. Uh, interesting that uh, frequently you hear, well, yeah, they tore down the mansion to build a milk plant. And that's not the case. They built the milk plant a little west and northwest of the house. We have a picture, it's in one of my books, that you can see the house and all still intact. And behind it is the evaporated milk plant. How far away was the mansion to the milk plant itself? With a good arm, you could throw a baseball from the house, back side of the house, and hit the plant. It was that close, uh, if, as you can see from the picture. Mm -hmm. You know that the plant is still there, yeah. the building and the smokestack. The, the smokestack is yeah. still visible to everybody. Yeah, and when you're going over the bridge, it goes over the railroad track there, looking down at the plant, you're right on top of the property where the house was. Uh, the house would have been a little bit southeast of the plant. Sophie sounds a little bit like another famous person from Murfreesboro. Um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, who the lady really was a Murfreesboro who ended up in uh, New York and uh, became one of the more famous ladies there. She was able to um, uh, be successful by her beauty and her charm, and and that's that's pretty special. You take a southern lady who has that kind of charm, which most southern ladies did. Uh, there, there's no reason why all of them couldn't have been very successful. You're talking about the uh, Murfreesboro girl who was raised right there on East Main. Mm -hmm. The house is still there. There's a commercial property now on the, what would be the s southeast corner of the boulevard and East Main section. Mm -hmm. And the house right behind or just beyond is uh, the old, I believe her name, I'm sorry, I'm blocking on that. Holly Go Lightly. Go Lightly. Yeah. Her father was a professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the college, lived right across the street from the gate to the college at the time, and was uh, very indulgent of his only child. She uh, was one of the first uh, in the area, the young ladies in her generation, to have her own car. And uh, 
she kind of went on her own schedule. I believe she attended the uh, College for Women there on East Main mm -hmm. and uh, was part of the club there made up of the local girls. I think they call themselves the come and go, come and go girls or come and go because they went home at night, didn't live on the campus. And uh, she was popular in the group because she had a car, could move them around. Mm -hmm. uh, but she, uh, as you, well, she married, I believe, the marriage didn't last long, but she married some uh, gentleman from up north and initially went to New York with him. Mm -hmm. uh, but she was a writer and uh, wrote what today we would call romance novels, mm -hmm. things of that sort. And uh, she uh, had some considerable success in that genre. Uh, in fact, there was at least one movie based on one of her novels starring Sophia Loren. Uh, so she did well. Uh, but as you say, uh, she had charm and beauty and became quite a fixture in the social whirl of New York. Mm -hmm. uh, she may have had problems uh, during the time because in her lay, later years, she spent, uh, she was committed to an asylum up there, died in the mental institution. Mm -hmm. uh, but before that, in her circle was Truman Capote, Capote and others in the literary world up there. And uh, interesting that late in life, she brought a suit against Capote, Capote for basically invasion of privacy. I think there was a, he had a number of lawsuits that yeah, fit oh in yeah, that category. Different things, uh, plagiarism among yeah. them. Uh, but she sued him on the grounds that he had written about her very loosely concealed in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, the character there, the lead character there, she claimed was based on her lifetime and her personality. And uh, she sued for some uh, financial amount. And uh, to my knowledge, is the only Murfreesboro native who brought suit in the Southern District of New York against uh, a major literary figure. He had uh, a very strange personality, Truman Capote did. Truman, yes, he did. Yeah. And e even uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, he supposedly had uh, some connection with that. And of course, he, he, his character was written in To Kill a Mockingbird. He was the um, uh, visitor that came to that hometown. And uh, I think some of the greatest um, books that have ever been written were written by people from the Southeast. I really do. If you look at all the things that occurred during those early lives. Well, leading that, that list would be Faulkner and uh, Tennessee Williams, some of those, yeah, yeah. during a period there. Uh, but she did... Uh, Golightly did not win her lawsuit, but uh, her obituary by the New York Times 
essentially uh, agreed with her lawsuit and noted that she was uh, the character upon whom the fictional character was based. So I guess it's still undecided. The court said no, but the media said yes. And uh, if but, the media is like it is today, uh, I think I would go against the media from what I, think, I can understand, I think, especially the New York Times. Yeah, it made a good story to say she was. Yeah. Uh, but the court, which apparently had examined things closely, said she had no basis for her claim. Yeah. Uh, but the name used in the in the book was so similar to her name that uh, Truman Capote was not being cautious if he was, in fact, using her as his character. Yeah. What was the uh, book that he he had written, Truman Capote, uh, about the murder? In uh, Cold Blood. In Cold Blood. Yeah. Was that in Nebraska or it was Kansas? It was in the Midwest. I yeah, couldn't tell some, you for sure. Somewhere in that area. Yeah. yeah. You, you, your mind had to be somewhat warped for that particular book. And one of the stars uh, in, in that movie, one of the murderers, um, ended up having to have uh, mental work done after that movie. I mean, it, it really was uh, unbelievable. Well, right, what else we got? Well, in fairness, uh, there were some ladies in the Murphy family, which are uh, extraordinary, mm -hmm. uh, particularly. In, you know, we speak of famous people of Murfreesboro, and they're, they're, they're those looking at uh, women. They're those who achieved a reputation uh, following a uh, honor for themselves. And kind of vicariously, that brings you know pride and honor to the community. But then there's those who actually changed Murfreesboro uh, physically or or what have you. And uh, those I put in a, a different category because uh, obviously they uh, were aggressive and uh, uh, usually business oriented. I uh, remember self-interest plays such a strong role in that. And one of the uh, Murphy girls, I think, fits that description. Uh, you remember that Murphy died in 1809, and his holdings were so vast that his probate took five years mm. before it was concluded and worked out and required that the state legislature essentially check off on it. And the will named one of uh, Hardy Murphy's sons, Junior, Hardy Murphy Junior, uh, and one of his son-in-laws, which I think at the time he didn't have all of them yet, uh, Dickinson, were the executors. So there may well have been some negotiating within the family going on there. But when it was eventually worked out in 1814, four, five, five of Hardy Murphy's daughters and one son owned almost controlling interest of uh, certainly this part of Rutherford County, mm -hmm. politically probably all of Rutherford County. Uh, his daughter Sally 
married James Manny. We all know the 600 acres that was her bequest became Oakland's. They built their mansion there. Mm -hmm. uh, daughter Lavinia married Frank Burton and their home uh, we now call the old Bellwood Mansion. Mm -hmm. uh, still there, at least some of the original still there. She had about 600 acres at the time. Um, Mary Murphy married a fellow named Hilliard, and uh, although she chose not to leave North Carolina until oh, some years later, I think about 19, 1828, she came this way, but initially she stayed in North Carolina. Uh, daughter Martha got 700 acres uh, on the uh, east side of the West Fork. Daughter Fanny, who married Dickinson, built Grantlands north of Oakland, mm -hmm. and that was a thousand acre track. Mm. And uh, that's why I say I think Colonel Hardy Murphy already had a favorite son-in-law because that's a, he, he got the largest track. Matthias, the son of Hardy Murphy, only got 300 acres less than the others, but he got the entire east side of what was growing, becoming Murfreesboro at mm -hmm. the time. So, very well. But the one I wanted to focus on was uh, Ms. Hilliard, Mary Murphy, uh, Hardy Hilliard. Uh, because her holdings, what she got, were south of the town of Murfreesboro that was developing and included about a third of what the town commissioners thought they had gotten by negotiation mm -hmm. with Lytle. Turns out the Lytle uh, transfer of property was thought to be 60 acres. But when things settled out in probate about 1814, it became obvious that part of that 60 acres was part of the Murphy Holdings. In fact, the part that uh, Ms. Hilliard had inherited. And uh, she went after it. And uh, you go into the deed records and you'll see there was some negotiation apparently probably some financial uh, payment, but she took a hard line and said, you know, you're selling, the, the lot's been sold on the south side of the square, mm -hmm. and it literally would have been, her line would have been about where the south road south of the courthouse is. Mm -hmm. She had everything on that side. Eventually it was worked out and she quit claims for most of the purchasers of lots she refused to quit claim on the corner that Lytle had traded for and owned there what uh, be the southeast corner of the square. Mm -hmm. Eventually, uh, it was worked out and settled, but uh, she took a hard line. Then she and her husband developed everything they owned on south from there as the uh, subdivision which uh, at the same time Lytle was developing a couple of uh, sections that he owned to the north. Mm -hmm. They were developing the south side. And uh, again, there was a good bit of competition because they were both selling lots at the same time. So it had been about 1818. 
about the same time that the General Assembly began meeting in Murfreesboro. And uh, Mary Hilliard, again, uh, a bit of an entrepreneur, announced that the high point in her property was going to be reserved for the state capitol. And she and her husband named a street on one side, Severe Street, and a street on the other side, State Street, and made a big deal out of here's where the capital will be when Murfreesboro becomes the permanent seat of uh, uh, state government. Uh, Lytle, uh, reacting to that, because that was good promotion, designated the, and this would be the, the hill where uh, today the Bradley School building, the old Bradley Academy building, mm -hmm. is sitting. Uh, well, actually, that was the Bradley Academy building disappeared many years ago. This was the school built in uh, 1918. But it sits on the hill now. And part of the hill has been completely dug out. Uh, the uh, shopping center down there below uh, leveled a lot of the hill. But that's where the, she said... That's where Broad Street is. Yeah, the brother, uh, along there. Yeah. Uh, and the part that Lytle offered, another higher point, is where the health department is now. Mm -hmm. So we had these two competing interests, uh, the state uh, executive and the state legislators, of course, chose not to use either one of them. But there was the competition going on. And even uh, uh, as late as the 1830s, Mary had survived most of the others. Uh, and her husband had passed away, but she negotiated with the city and sold the city some of the remaining amount of her estate uh, to become the city cemetery. And I think she picked up, uh, again, a staggering number of the t at the time, uh, several thousand dollars for that uh, several acres right there. She didn't sell it all to them, though. Her sister had died and was buried behind the Presbyterian Church. It was there in the Presbyterian Church, had a little cemetery. Mm -hmm. But uh, she and her husband were buried just beyond the church property. And, of course, there was a question about the title to that property on a family cemetery. So if you go back and read the uh, deed for the city cemetery, you'll see that she did not sell the property, did not include the property that her sister was buried on. It remained in the family. And to this day, that has never been changed. So there is a section of the old city cemetery property back of the site of the old Presbyterian Church Cemetery that uh, technically, according to documentation, still belongs to the Murphy family. And that's where Lavinia is, is buried. Uh, so I would put Mary Hilliard, very high on the list of women who have influenced the growth and the development of Murfreesboro, because she controlled all that she developed, and uh, about the only remaining uh, visible evidence of that is there's a little street named Hilliard Street that's part of her subdivision. I've uh, been trying to think of where Hilliard Street is while you've been talking. Clark Middle. Is, oh, on, okay. is on yeah. that street. Yeah. And, of course, the sign spells the name wrong. Uh, it spells it Hillard, 
and it's Hilliard with an I in there. Uh, but clearly, uh, I think Ms. Hilliard probably deserves more recognition than she gets because she really had a distinct influence, not only on her property and how it was used, but she influenced Lytle and the Lytle family and how their property was used uh, through her promotions and such. It seems like the ladies have never been given the respect that they deserved when it comes to historical uh, prominence, you might say. And, and, and I, I, I've always wondered about that because they had a great deal of control over uh, how things would, uh, uh, you, you might say, <coughs> begin to grow into, up to this date, a major city uh, across the, the, the country. And I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. You know, you remind me there's a small, discreet monument down south to 31. Uh, it'd be right across from the Kroger store down there, which memorializes a uh, property owner, as he's described, uh, as a Revolutionary War veteran. Uh, turns out, and you research that, he never served in the Revolutionary War. But he's credited with major uh, land grant down in that area, and uh, uh, ownership of that of that of that land. It's a DAR monument marker. Mm -hmm. Well, what actually happened is his wife's father had been a senior officer in the Revolutionary Army. In fact, he was a uh, physician working with the uh, Revolutionary. Uh, military and he was the one who got the grant but he had died in the course of the war or been killed mm. in in the course of the war so according to the rules of that time the grant went to his next of kin just as though it had been her mm -hmm. and uh, again according to custom when she married she put her husband's name on the deed mm. so uh, not looking far enough back into the documented history, the DAR recognized him as the grantee and uh, a Revolutionary War veteran. And the DAR, they see, I, uh, they're going to be on in March, and and uh, I always look forward to having them on. Uh, well, let's let me, take a let, quick break. Let's take a quick break. You know what I'm Well, a quick point before I get in trouble. This DAR chapter was in Texas, and this was 40, 50 years ago. Oh, okay. We'll be right back. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. I'm Carly Henry, and I love Adam's Place. The food is very good, and we're playing our card games, and then we're looking and thinking it's about supper time. And all we have to do is go down and take our seats and wait to be waited on. And that's a far cry from what all of us have done when we had to go home from work and cook dinner for a family. 
I would encourage my friends to come to Adams Place because it's a good choice. For the love of downtown, things to do, purchase a sweet treat or a romantic gift for your loved ones from one of the unique locally owned shops and restaurants in the historic downtown Murfreesboro. Plan a date night with that special someone downtown and enjoy the romantic backdrop you need to make a good impression. Last, take your special someone on a Valentine's scavenger hunt. Downtown, find the hidden hearts for a chance to win a downtown gift basket. Follow Main Street Murfreesboro on Facebook for more information. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. Tennessee says it has romantic getaways for lovebirds this Valentine's Day. The Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation offering dining specials and overnight packages at six state parks. They include the lodge at Montgomery Bell, the restaurant at Fall Creek Falls, the lodge at Pickwick Landing, and the lodge at Natchez Trace. Visit tnstateparks.com for more information. Secretary of State Trey Hargett is warning Tennessee business owners about a scam that has recently resurfaced targeting businesses with a deceptive mailer from a company that goes by two names, Tennessee Certificate Service and Tennessee Certificate of Existence Filing Company. Their mailer that implies businesses must have a certificate of existence to complete its formation or to fully operate in the state. This is not the case. Unfortunately, businesses who order a certificate of existence through these scammers may be paying an exorbitant amount for something that's totally unnecessary or would only cost $20 to the Secretary of State's office. A murdered Robertson County Sheriff's deputy is in her final resting place. A funeral service for Deputy Savannah Puckett was held at South Haven Baptist Church in Springfield Saturday before the burial service at Springfield Memorial Gardens. Deputy Puckett was shot multiple times before being found in her burning home last Sunday night. Her ex-boyfriend has been charged with murder. Well, this happens in Nashville, but it's something you don't see every day. Police are on the lookout for a man who burglarized a vehicle and home in West Nashville while dressed in a dinosaur onesie. A neighbor called police when she saw the garage door and front door open. The suspects weren't home at the time, but were able to provide police security camera footage of the suspect. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. The Good Neighbor Network, on air and online at WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's most trusted source for local news. Our people, that's the difference. Maples Realty and Auction. I'm Betsy Maples-Taylor with Maples Realty and Auction Company in Murfreesboro. Maples Realty and Auction offers a variety of auction services, including home, estate, land, farm, bank-owned property, equipment, and personal property auctions. Get in touch for a free, no-obligation analysis to determine if the auction method is best for you. More information at maplesrealtyandauction.com or call 896-4740. Maples Realty and Auction. 
Guys, there's a lot of people talking about testosterone these days, but do your homework and be sure you go to a provider that you can trust. I recommend Low T Center. There are many reasons why. Low T Center exclusively specializes in men's wellness. They check all your levels, not just testosterone. They determine the cause of any symptoms you're having and whether or not you're a candidate to low T or something else like thyroid or even sleep apnea. Their annual health assessment is typically completely covered by most health insurance and is thorough, checking everything from PSA, which is your prostate levels, thyroid, liver, kidney functions, cholesterol, glucose, and more. Low T Center has affordable and convenient options for treatment, including monitored self-inject treatment that ships to your home. Make your health a priority this year and schedule your annual health assessment today. It's covered by most health insurance or less than $100 cash pay. Go to LowTCenter.com to book your appointment today. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. Skies will become mostly sunny here this afternoon with a high into the mid-50s. Winds out of the southwest to 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy alone near 32. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 30. Premier 6 Theater on Broad and Jackson Heights, showing all of your favorite movies. Call their hotline 896-4100 or go see a movie.com. Popcorn pop fresh daily. Their movie hotline 896-4100 or go see a movie.com. Premier 6 on Broad and Jackson Heights. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. On FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And welcome back with Greg Tucker. Did he say streaming or, or screaming? It sounded like screaming to That's me. That's what I thought he said. Now, now you, you, were, you always pass on these interesting things that just kind of stick with me in my mind, which... Very few things do anymore, but uh, the properties that are part of history, and as they're passed on, we were talking about one particular uh, piece of property where there's a house still there, and it's owned by someone outside in the community, but this person is still interested in the history of this area, and uh, uh, if she sells the property and she wants to maintain that how is that passed on in in the historical ledger uh it's confusing her question to me was uh she wants to sell the house and property on the property is a revolutionary war veteran grave which we've talked about mm-hmm. and uh the question to me was how can she be sure that the new owner will be aware of the cemetery and their uh, rights and, and uh, obligations about the cemetery. And uh, I had checked and I assured her that the cemetery is referenced in the property description and the deed. And uh, also there's a survey and it's noted on the survey Mm-hmm. So the new owner certainly will be on notice that it's there. Uh, there's a question as to whether 
the property owner actually owns the property of the cemetery and uh, I, I would want to do some research before I said for sure one way or the other but it under certain circumstances a cemetery a known cemetery uh, is to be titled separately from the surrounding private property and uh, under some circumstances it would be titled to the county and subject to tax exemption as a cemetery uh, and uh, there's some discussions right now between some state personnel and our local pro property assessor Rob Mitchell who has shown quite a bit of interest in trying to resolve whose responsibility for what but once the property is uh, transferred to a new owner the previous owner may elect to continue to maintain the cemetery Mm -hmm. uh, and to show an interest in the cemetery. Uh, and uh, obviously a descendant could be doing the same thing. And the property owner cannot exclude them from uh, that intent or physically prevent them from you know, maintaining it if that's what's chosen. And that in many instances is the best results if a family will take an interest in the cemetery and uh, continue to maintain it and repair it and such as that. Uh, and clearly the law supports that. Uh, for example, I personally am the, uh, what would you call it, caretaker for a cemetery just over into Davidson County. And it's now in the midst of a subdivision with two property owners. You know, it's between two houses, mm -hmm. uh, kind of an upscale uh, subdivision up near Brentwood and uh, you know the, they couldn't they don't they're actually very sympathetic and helpful but uh, for instance uh, a monument was either vandalized or fell and uh, you know we came in with some heavy equipment and all to set it back up it was a big piece and uh, you know Obviously, we tried very hard not to disturb the private property, but in any event, they couldn't exclude us because uh, we're maintaining the cemetery. And uh, is is that for a family, or is would it be your family? Yeah, in my case, in yeah. my case, it's a family of. I actually, got the last name is Williams, uh -huh. and it would be my great grandmother's maiden name. She mm -hmm. came down from that family. So the relationship, as you would expect after 200 years, is attenuated. But if someone uh, who can show a descendancy clearly has those rights to maintain the cemetery. That's pretty special that you've done that all these years. Yeah, well, I inherited the responsibility from my yeah. mother. You know, it came down on her side of the family, and she mm -hmm. maintained it. In fact, she was working with it before the subdivision was built around it. And... Uh, uh, hopefully the responsibility will pass on at some time in the future. Say, um, where you live, you've got a nice farm out there, a beautiful place, uh, uh, Martin Ride Farm. And what if you decide to be buried, your family to be buried on that farm? Um, how do you maintain that so just like you're doing right now, people in the family um, 
pass that on? How, how are you able to do that for the, the future and, and for the historical recognition? Well, as we were saying, if the property, uh, the farm is transferred to a new owner, that new owner has obligations with respect to main, maintaining, preserving the cemetery. Mm -hmm. They don't have the obligation to go out and cut the grass and repair monuments, but they cannot exclude uh, someone who's a descendant or, or uh, uh, looking to the history of it. They can't exclude them from doing that. What if it's not cared for like it should be? Well, so many of them fall under that category, and that's yeah. where we have the problem. And uh, some cemeteries disappear, and then largely because no one is attentive. No one, you know, usually you expect descendants to, to do that. And uh, they fall into disrepair, and some of them disappear. There was a church on the corner of uh, Walnut Grove Road and uh, what then was South Church. Uh, Shelbyville Highway mm -hmm. church disappeared cemetery next to it has disappeared it's on the map you can take the uh, county map showing cemeteries and there's a cemetery there but you go down there and there's a grove of trees and obviously someone experienced uh, you know, specialized in that can can find the graves but for the passerby you look at it and there's nothing there uh, so what happens if someone wants to bulldoze the whole area and build on it? If someone comes forward and has the, the proof that there is a cemetery there, uh, even though it's completely not maintained, uh, you know, they can protect the cemetery. I like that. Yeah. But, uh... What if, okay, let's go to another area. All right. Since we're in cemetery. Uh, I, I have a plot. Of course, my parents have plots in another cemetery. Uh, but uh, Jackie and I have got a, a place that we have paid for. Uh, as you buy that piece of property and you're buried there, what protects you? Is this something very similar like a... Um, the, the the cemetery that and, and I think you have a you're on that board I, I, if it's I'm not mistaken uh, how do you protect that ownership all the way down the line and what type of uh, responsibility to, does the board have with that particular cemetery well that's a very different situation because you bought the property from the city yeah and actually you did not get deeded titled property mm -hmm. uh, you won't find your property in the registers office uh, county deed records mm -hmm. what you bought is basically a contract relationship with the owner of the cemetery and the, at the time that you did your transaction I want my deed do what I want my deed yeah at the time you did your transaction you were dealing with the city yeah. a commission, a subdivision of the city. And uh, how do you protect that? The same thing. You need to be diligent. Uh, if you're concerned that the, uh, the cemetery owner is not being conscientious and meeting their obligations, which are written into your contract, mm -hmm. you know, to maintain, to repair, to mold, cut the grass, uh, maintain the access roads such as that, uh, 
then you have an action, but it's more of a contract action. It's not as a property owner mm -hmm. uh, in a contract relationship. Uh, I say you were dealing with the city. It is very likely that in the next couple of, probably next month, that will become, we're talking about Evergreen Cemetery, that'll yeah. become private property owned by a nonprofit uh, incorporated entity. And, uh, but it's going to succeed to all the uh, rights and obligations of the previous owner of the city. So there should be no perceptible change. But uh, it's very different from the family cemeteries that are not uh, uh, property owned by a corporation or somebody else uh, who assumes a responsibility commercially. And under state law, a cemetery owner such as we're talking about here uh, has to put a percentage of all their sales, you know, they're selling the right mm -hmm. to be buried there and they'll charge you also for digging the hole and those kind of things. A percentage of the income from the sale of the lot itself mm -hmm. has to go into a permanent endowment and that endowment uh, has to be placed with some trust manager so it is maintained and, and, and grows appropriately. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, some call it perpetual care. The purpose of that uh, endowment is the assumption that at some time in the future you'll run out of lots to sell and uh, no more income of that right. nature. And where's the money going to come from to maintain and meet the contract obligations? So this endowment, this trust fund that every cemetery, privately owned cemetery is required to have uh, is to provide for the continuing care of the of the graves. Best of all circumstances uh, in many ways uh, because it's clear that uh, although descendants have an informal obligation to to keep up with it if they care, uh, there's a contract relationship which requires that. Now, an interesting uh, question comes up. What if the family, you have for instance, uh, so we have grave plots out there that were sold back in the 1880s, 1890s. Yeah. It's old. I so mean, you're talking be. as many as five generations later. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, in four or five generations, your cousins and you may be even unacquainted uh, because you're getting an awful lot of people in there. Mm -hmm. uh, what if there's a disagreement among the descendants? You know, one side says... Well, I, you know, I'm a direct descendant of such and such, and I have the right to be buried in the remaining lot. You know, frequently these early purchasers would mm -hmm. buy 10 or 20 lots, you know, and have a family area there. And uh, a, a very, very distant cousin says, no, that's my, I have the right to be buried there. I'm a direct descendant. So who gets caught in the middle? The cemetery owner. And, of course, the cemetery owner has no appropriate reason to favor one or the other. We did, uh, we have to rely on the descendancy and, and the family. Uh, so what happens there? Well, it eventually ends up in court. And, you know, they give their, and I don't know what criteria the court would use, but somehow the court has to determine who has the right to be buried there. And uh, it's almost humorous, but we do have, 
currently disputes of that nature. And I pointed out to the city when we were talking about getting the city out of the cemetery ownership, I said, if someone dies, what are we supposed to do? Put them on ice and save them until it's finally resolved who's to be buried where. Mm -hmm. This needs to be worked out as, as soon as possible. So <clears throat> to the extent there are any disputes like that pending, when the property goes private, be one of the first things we need to do is to uh, deal with any current disputes, but also to establish a procedure where if disputes like that occur, and we're, we're talking about the old historic part of the cemetery usually, uh, you know, how, how's that to be resolved? Well, if you think about it, it goes even the early 1800s, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, because I've been through there and looked at a lot of the names that are on those uh, monuments. And at one point, it could be used, uh, utilized by the historical uh, commission or, or, or group, and you guys could make a museum out of it <laughs> and take care of it. And, well, and, and that would be a major part of, well, of course, that would be way beyond our time. But uh, Well, the, the cemetery that's evergreen was established in 1880 when the original acreage, mm -hmm. uh, it's expanded quite a bit since, but yeah. the original acreage was purchased from the Murphy descendants that had mm -hmm. Oakland's. This yeah. is part of Oakland's. Uh, there are graves, though, that predate that acquisition that quite a bit because uh the murphy family was had their family cemetery there yeah. and uh, you know good business people that they were by selling the property surrounding their family cemetery including the family cemetery they get perpetual care for the family cemetery mm -hmm. so it was a good business move on their part in that sense uh and uh it would make it make a good program. We can continue this next next week to uh, trace down the history of the cemetery and the ownership and how it evolved. Uh, it's an interesting uh, story, particularly for those who are buried there or plan to be buried there. Interesting to know. I enjoyed it, Truman. See you next week. What makes you think we're through? Huh? Are you tired? Are you wore out? I have hey, a, was it has been this been an exhausting day? Yes, it is. I have twenty minutes to get to another meeting. Thank you. Well, it's probably in the county anyway. All right, guys. He's he's wore out. He's tired, and but it's been a very interesting show as always. All right, guys. We'll see you in the morning at nine. And for you baseball fans, Thomas Booker is going to be on, and Gil Hodges's daughter is going to be one of our guests tomorrow from the Brooklyn Dodgers. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.